0: This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit walkwiththeking.org forward slash donate. Thank you for listening. All right, thank you very much. And hello again, dear radio friends. How in the world are you? Doing all right today? Well, some of you may have struck a rough day. That's the way life is. And if you have... Look up and say, Lord, see me through this one, and pray your way through the day, and I can promise you that when the day is over, you'll be able to turn out that pocket full of memories and say, thank you, Lord, for walking with me all through the day. That's what we mean when we say walk with the King. Pray your way through the day. Try it today. You'll find that it works. Well, a loving greeting to every one of you who fellowship with me by way of radio, day after day. I belong to you in a very special sense. Don't I? I meet people whom I've never seen before. They'll come up, shake my hands, and say, I just feel like I know you. Well, of course, I've been giving myself away by way of radio, and it's wonderful. I'm, I need somebody to belong to. That's part of the personality I have. And so I'm glad you're there. God bless you. Keep me in your prayers, won't you? If you ever think of Bob Cook, you pray that God will keep his hand on me and that I might be kept fresh and blessed in the Word of God. Thank you for that. Well, we're looking at the questions that people asked of our about our Lord, as recorded in Mark chapter two and the first question was, "Who can forgive sins?" So he's the Lord of forgiveness. He's the one who can say, "Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven, and if you have a a, a guilty conscience you're you're burdened with a load of guilt about something. Bring it to the Lord Jesus before another minute passes. You don't even have to keep on listening to me. Just just keep, bring bring that, that guilty feeling and all that's associated with it, bring it to the Lord Jesus and by faith put it under his precious shed blood. And he forgives and forgets and you can accept and go on. You don't forget things. Only God has the right to forget. Everything you've ever uh, heard or seen or experienced is is locked into the computer. They call it the unconscious mind. I sometimes joke and say that was named for a college freshman, the unconscious mind. (laughs) But that's the computer portion of your mind. And so you don't forget things. It's locked into the computer. But Jesus forgives and God forgets and you are enabled to accept and go on. That's the way it works. Would you today take that load of guilt and turn it over to God? Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. God picks up you and the burden and carries you both in his loving arms. He's the Lord of forgiveness, and he's the Lord of the transformed life. The expression new wine indicates the transformed life. If any man be in Christ, said the Apostle Paul, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so uh, the Lord Jesus, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, brings that newness of life, transformed life. And then he's the Lord of the, uh, he's the Lord uh, of the uh, new wine, nor a Lord of the new wine, the transformed life, and then he's the new wine. He's not dependent on religious routines. Why do the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees fast? That was the question. But thy disciples fast not. Now, fasting is a good thing. I observe it from time to time, although you'd never guess by looking at me sideways. But uh, I used to have an hourglass figure, but the hour, the the sand in the hourglass has shifted. They say, no, fasting is a good thing. What it does is to enable you and me to to concentrate on seeking God. The fact that you lay aside food or sleep or other activities, fasting means giving up something to seek God. That's that's the idea of it, isn't it? And the fact that you lay aside something, food or sleep or whatever, in order to seek God, this helps you concentrate your mind and your thoughts and your emotions on the business at hand, which is praying, seeking God. So the Bible teaches the benefits of fasting, and Isaiah, of course, amplifies that, and he says, "'Is not this the fast that I've chosen "'to set the captive free and and unloose the bands "'that bind people and to straighten up your own life?' "'That's what what I'll bless,' said God." So uh, it's very clear as you read the Bible that God doesn't have very much respect for fasting or other religious practices for that matter. He says, "'When you make many prayers, "'I will not hear, I'm weary to bear them.'" He doesn't have all that much respect for religious practices per se. Even though, as I said to you, fasting is a good is a good procedure. Nothing wrong, nothing intrinsically wrong with it, it does you good. But God is not impressed because I miss my lunch in order to say I missed lunch today so I could pray. Oh go on. You know, God isn't God isn't impressed with that. But anyhow, this is the tendency, this is the tendency of human nature to to magnify the importance of what I am doing, rather than the importance of the relationship that ought to be sustained. You follow that? It's human nature, It's, it's our tendency to magnify the importance of what I'm doing religiously, I'm attending church, I'm lighting a candle, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm sacrificing, I'm giving X number of dollars or whatever it may be. The importance of, of religious things I do rather than the importance of a relationship sustained between God and me. See, that's the background of this question. Why do John the Baptist disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees, why, why do they fast but your disciples don't? Well, he said, the the bridegroom is here, the wedding reception is still on. When the bridegroom leaves, then they'll fast. He says. Then they'll fast in those days. Fasting is not something that the Lord Jesus turned his back upon, but he said, "I'm here with them, and my presence is with them every day." Besides, he said, there is a certain newness about a relationship with me; it's like new cloth or new wine and you don't take a new piece of new cloth and 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 sew it to an old raggedy garment because it'll tear out and you don't take new wine and put it in old uh, rotten wineskins because it'll burst but he says the new life needs to be applied to a transformed container now this this figures because other scriptures agree with it we all With open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are are changed into the same image, his image, that is, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. See, old things passed away, all things become new. So that the indwelling Spirit of God, according to that passage in in, 1 Corinthians 3.18, the indwelling Spirit of God does transform my life, so I'm able to contain the the blessing and the shine and the and the uh, the power of God's indwelling life. The question then: He's Lord of the of the new power of the Holy Spirit of God. Call it new wine. God is not dependent upon. Routines. God is not dependent upon routines. The fact that, uh, well, I knew a man, for instance, who was very proud in a humble sort of way, you know, very proud of the fact that he got up at four o'clock every morning, read the book of Romans and prayed and had his devotions. Anybody who ever came through that Western city knew that this man, he was a very capable professional man, by the way, they knew that, inevitably, before they'd been there very long, that this man got up at four o'clock in the morning to pray. Well, it wasn't until some years after his death that I found out that although he did indeed arise at four in the morning, and he would take a swim in in the the, uh, sound there, and uh, then he would read in the book of Romans, and he would pray. But it wasn't, I say, until after he had gone to be with the Lord that I found out that very frequently... By 5.30, he was back in bed fast asleep. (laughs) Well, all right, I'm sure that it worked well for him and and, uh, the Lord knew, uh, knew and understood. But God is not impressed with religious routines, things that we do to seem good and faithful and successful religiously. That doesn't impress God. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. He looks to see what's going on inside. And so that's why the Lord Jesus spoke about new cloth and new wineskins and new wine. That's why. Because there is that, that transforming of the inner person that makes the difference when Jesus is Lord. So he's Lord of forgiveness, Lord of a transformed life. Matthew, the tax collector and the crook, becomes a soul winner. He's Lord of the new wine, not dependent upon religious routines. Now they come with another question. Disciples were hungry, and as they went along by a field of wheat or barley, whatever it may have been, this this word corn in uh, in Mark 2.23 is an old English word that means any kind of small grain. When I was a boy and I read this, I read this, ears of corn, I thought, boy, that must have been something, to take those ears of corn and and bite into them without, without their being cooked or anything. I couldn't understand that until I realized that later on, this is an old English word that means any kind of small grain. Could have been wheat or barley or whatever. And so it says, as they went along, they began to pluck the ears of corn. Now, this was perfectly legal. I have to explain to you. It was perfectly legal. It was... It was all right for passers-by to grab a handful of grain along the edge of a field and eat it if they were hungry. That was an accepted practice, and there wasn't anything wrong with it, all right? At the same time, this was the Sabbath day, and so to pick a handful of uh, wheat and and uh, rub it in your hands to, to remove the chaff and blow the chaff away and then eat the wheat— that was considered to be harvesting. You were picking the grain and you were threshing it, and that was harvesting. So that that little tablespoonful of of grains of wheat that you had in your hand after you blew away the chaff, that was considered to be quite sinful because it was breaking the Sabbath. Now that's the the background of this, you see. And so the Pharisee said, "Why, why do your disciples on the Sabbath day? that which is not lawful?" Well, the Lord Jesus said. David, and you certainly aren't going to criticize him, are you? King David went, and because he and his companions were hungry, he went right into the holy place and ate the showbread that was reserved for nobody but the priests. And so he said, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, beloved, uh, I know that in my audience, there are some precious people who believe that we ought to worship God only on Saturday, the Sabbath, and I'm not going to have an argument with you, and please don't write to me and argue with me about it. The greater truth is that Jesus is Lord of this matter of one day out of seven. He's Lord of honoring him in a very special way in what you say and do. So he's Lord of forgiveness. He's Lord of the transformed life. He's Lord of the new wine of the Holy Spirit, and he's Lord of what you do to honor him on his day. It's a great truth there, isn't it? Dear Father, today, may we know, acknowledge, and live out the truth of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I pray in his name. Amen. Till I meet you once again by way of radio, walk with the King today and be a blessing.